0: A bit of a long one for you today, but that's because we've gone from one to four exceptional guests, and we're going to talk more about coaching and living in Mexico. Hopefully, shed a lot of light on what it's like to be in the country. Enjoy, guys. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. We are here to speak about our, our collective experiences in Mexico. Hopefully, we can. Uh, shed some light on what it's like to live and work and experience a wonderful country that is Mexico because there's a lot of people out there that really want to work abroad and uh, we can share our experiences and hopefully answer a few questions and maybe act as wonderful salesmen for the country of Mexico so what we'll do is we'll start off just a quick introduction we've got uh, I've got four excellent guests on here Chris Bennett, Brendan Johns, Neil Connor and Chris Haymes. We have all spent a decent amount of time in Mexico since 2014 was my first one, wasn't it? So within within those years, we've got a fair bit of experience. Some of it overlaps. Some we you know a few of the same people, but we've also got our own different and unique experiences. So myself, I uh, think I was the second one out of this group to land, wasn't it? Just after chris bennett in january 2014 i worked for foot academy for a year and a half mostly at club reformer and then yeah left in the summer of 2015 and went back to england for a while worked on some qualifications eventually the summer of 2017 i went to help out with our wonderful friends at girls united did some brilliant work and if any of you followed that a lot on twitter facebook instagram they are amazing and uh, Romina who runs it is one of the best people I've ever met she is just brilliant and is doing fantastic work so I recommend everyone everyone looks into that and if ever you have the chance go out there for, for a few weeks not only is it valuable work in the community but it's also paradise if you've seen the pictures it's just amazing you don't need any filtering it's that good and then I'll spend some time back in the US and eventually when that finished, just about the time that COVID happened, I went to went back to Mexico. I was only supposed to be there for two months and the pandemic stopped me from going home for about five months. And the pandemic stopped my wife from coming back to England with me for a further six months after. In that time, I spent two days, a total of two days working for one company that we know fairly well between us. And then um, a week later, I started working for i at Madrid, soccer schools, really, really good guys. And then it happened. <laughs> so that's it. And I left Mexico for the last time. It would have been July last year. So we'll go to Chris Bennett as the first one there out of all of us. Talk us through your time in Mexico, who you've worked for, where you've been and what you've done since and where you are now. Yeah,
1: so I, I, as you said, I, I first went out to Mexico just after New Year 2014. That was originally to work with Foot Academy. I was there for a year and a half, right up till July 2015. Went to America during the summer and then ended up back in Mexico that August, working for the West Ham Academy. Lasted to about December time. I left again, went and done a year stint in Vietnam. Um, After a year in Vietnam, decided I actually missed Mexico and came back to Foot Academy again. Uh, This time I was only there for about nine months. And then after that, I came back home, did a little bit of work for Celtic and some of the schools around my local area. I then got the opportunity to go back to Mexico this time in a different city. I went to Monterrey and I was there for a year working primarily as a PE teacher, but I was also working with Houston Dynamo, one of their satellite academies. In the evenings as well. Um, currently now going through the UEFA B license, which I'm enjoying a lot, and I'm also working with Hamilton Academicals Women's Under 13 squad, which I'm really enjoying. And um, that's me till, till now. All right, Chris Haynes, you're the next one out there. So,
2: when do you start? Yeah. What's not 100% sure on dates um the october after uh will and chris went out um so when we're talking 2014 i i ended up out there um probably something we'll touch on a little bit but sort of happened a bit on the on the cuff really within the space of a couple of weeks found myself out in uh out in mexico and, and ended up spending just shy of 12 months out there um Came back and, and since I've, I've done various roles really within the women's game back in the UK. So not, not had the experience of travelling out again. Um, but yeah, just sort of based myself around, around the women's game, whether that be RTCs and various sort of WSL and, and National League clubs and now uh, manager of Bradford City women's team. And next it was Brendan.
3: Hiya. Um, I came out uh, September 2015, so I just missed the boat with obviously yourselves there leaving uh, shortly before I got there. Um, spent until June 2016, I believe. Um, uh, whilst I was over in Mexico, met some other coaches that had worked in America. Worked on the American summer camps with Camp America for Camp Greylock as a assistant head of the soccer department for and then went to a company called uh, Youth Elite Soccer, or Yes Soccer for short, worked for them in the spring, um, and then had a bit of a winter break in in the UK, and then went back to the States to work for Yes Soccer for the whole year, Um, and then went back to Mexico for a winter break there, where I met my fiancé whilst I was working for Foot Academy in, in 2015, and then went back to the States until... Uh, 2018, when I came back to the UK um, to get my B licence, which I got um, in 2019. And then after that, I've just been working in the non-league system in in the North West. So at Cheadle Town, under 23s as assistant manager. And then um, just starting up February, uh, just gone, joined um, Cheadle Heath Nomads as part of the first team squad uh, for their goalkeeping coach, as well as uh, first team coaching as well. And that's basically what I'm up to at the moment. And then finally, Neil.
4: Yeah, I suppose I'm uh, more recently uh, been out to Mexico and and been back. So I went out there in, uh, it was about February last year, um, initially as a multi-phase coach with uh, West Ham Academy, a few of us that are aware of uh, that academy, and then uh, got promoted to like academy manager's role. Because there was a lot of work that needed to be done in in my eyes to get it up to a certain standard. Um, And then we did a rebrand during the summer. And then I came back to England for a little bit due to COVID. Uh, Went back out in September and I was there out until Christmas. And then uh, the role that I had was it was stopped at Christmas due to other circumstances. And um, came back, got on my B licence, which is starting a couple of weeks. Uh, We set up our own club in Mexico City uh, called Premier League FC, which is aimed at trying to get more uh, scholars to play football. So um, a lot of stuff in in Mexico, which we'll get onto probably is, you know, the pay-to-play model. So we're trying to go against that. And just recently just started with Marine women's um, football team, just coaching there. So, uh, yeah, that was my journey in Mexico and where I am now.
0: So interestingly enough, where you're setting up, Premier League I can see that field from, the, from my wife's apartment window a very very small world despite being a huge city of what 20 odd million we end up being that close together so I'd like to ask everyone two questions uh, first one is after your time in Mexico who has become your team and what was it that attracted you to Mexico in the first place so for me uh, it was Club America that's Not only is that the family team that helped me uh, integrate with my wife's family, but for years I'd play a lot of FIFA and watch as many games on TV from all different countries. And I really liked uh, the player Salvador Cabanas, the Paraguayan, who had an amazing uh, Copa America a few years prior to that. And his career was then ended early as he was shot in the head in a bar one night. He fully recovered, but has never quite been the same player. There's differing stories, <laughs> two uh, two versions of the same night. Like one is that there were some uh, gangsters that were hassling some women, and he stood up to them, and they shot him. And another version I heard was that he was drunk, and in the toilet, and made fun of this guy's penis, who happened to be a gangster who shot him in the head. So a lot of very very crazy stories out in Mexico, but I. Well, my team, our family team is Club America. The biggest, the best, but uh, I would not recommend. I think they've got the worst fans in the entire league. Nicest kits, probably, but worst, worst fans. And I was liking the experience. Going to the Azteca is like that scene in Interstellar where they go to that, uh, that planet where the gravity is so, so strong that time goes on forever. Ah, oh, so Azteca, you have to see it, but it's not an enjoyable match day experience, because well about how hard it is to get in and out. So we'll go. Brendan, what attracted you to Mexico and who's your team?
3: Uh, I'll start first of all with what attracted me. Um, it was just by chance more than anything. Um, I'd always planned that I wanted to try and go and work abroad, originally in the US, uh, because obviously that's like the main place everyone hears of. And the plan was to get my level two in 2015 and then go to the Euros in 2016 to do a world, world, like road trip tour and then go to America. Um, just by chance, I'd seen on Twitter that there was a job vacancy going up at foot Academy. And um, personally, at the time, I was in a very bad place mental health-wise. And um, I went for it, had the interview, and I got offered the role. And I was in that mo- much of a state at the time. I just thought, you know what, I need to try this. I need to do it. Because if I said no, um, I'd feel like it would always be a bit of a mental block that I'd never get over, that I could never go work abroad. So I thought the opportunity has come. Um, I had done some research in Mexico of like the area that I'd be working in or where I'd be probably living. Um, Still quite naive, I'm not going to lie. But I was like, yeah, I'm happy to go for it. Um, Went. And um, that's that's how what attracted me really is just an opportunity of a lifetime that I thought I can always I'm I'm only there for a year if anything it's a year's contract if I stay longer great if not it's fine it's something that I can talk about and it's 2021 and I'm still talking about it now because it was such a great a uh, great year um, learning different things and obviously football culture life culture um, and everything. My club in Mexico, I'm a bit, it's hard. I was originally going to go to Club America as well, but my fiance, when I started dating her, said, if you ever go for Club America, I will automatically break up with you Um, and disown you because, as you say, their reputation uh, for their fans uh, precedes them. So she says, don't ever go for Club America. Though I do like them because they're the biggest club, but their family, club is pumas so i have a little bit of affiliation for pumas but i do also like uh, tigres um more for their kits um i love the designs of them so i wouldn't say i've got a specific club america um club america or pumas or tigres it's just they're the teams that i always keep an eye out on um so i couldn't really decide unfortunately <laughs> um But definitely, definitely them three teams are the ones that I uh, keep an eye out on. One of the best things about Mexican
0: football is that the biggest club teams and the national team typically have excellent kit. It's always so many good designs. And there were several times I'd look at Pumas or Tigres and actually feel quite jealous. But then Club America, much like Man United back in the 90s, would release about 15 kits a year. And a good 12 of those 15 would be quite good. yeah. (laughs) But uh, for people that don't know Mexican football, I, I would say that Co-America are like the Manchester United. They've won everything and probably the most successful team, but also probably the most hated. And a lot of that is probably brought upon themselves. And I think cruisers all the Tottenham, almost so close, but never quite make it. And I, I, Pumas, probably Newcastle. Big team with a lot of history, a lot of fans massive stadium but are just awful they're not, not quite there yet are they Tigres I oh, know it's hard to find an English equivalent Chris you, uh, Bennett you went up to Monterey, and Tigres are now your team aren't they yeah I
1: mean, what attracted you to Mexico and why why Tigres as well um, what attracted me in the first place was just the opportunity to go I'd had a good kind of year in America and didn't really want to go home, ended up coming home anyway and the opportunity just came up, applied for it, I got it, I was basically there within two weeks of getting the job as well and someone like yourself well, I actually went, the first time you went to the Aztec, I was with you, um, funnily enough it was America Tigres 3-0. Ralph oh, why did you go to
0: that one?
1: Oh, you're not, oh, it was a... No, my first game to the Azteca, you came with me and it, America got spanked 4-2 by Santos. Yeah, I remember that one as well. Like that I can still visualise that Peralta goal. Um, yeah, so similar to yourself, I, I liked going to the Azteca. It was an iconic stadium. I did go to all the other ones as well. Estadio uh, Azul. I was lucky enough to get a chance to um, have my teams playing on that surface as well. Went to Pumas. But in 2019, when I went to Monterey, one of the, the teachers that worked in my school was from Ireland. And he, over the years, had became friends with people from Monterey. Basically just teaching them English while they were in Dublin studying. And he picked up Spanish from them. So every time he was visiting them in Monterey, he was going to the, the Tigres games. And they mentioned it to me one night and I says, yeah, I'd love to go because I hadn't been to the stadium before. What he failed to mention was um, he was very heavily involved with their ultras. Mm. And over time, I ended up getting involved with them as well. And not in the, the violence side of it, but like the colour, the displays, the chanting, travelling to away games and stuff like that.
4: So that's a training world but,
1: Um Yeah, so I ended up more or less having a season ticket with them. Uh, I was in, but the, in with the hardcore fans. I kind of, got to know a lot of their supporters, some of their players as well. I met uh, Gignac a couple of times. The, but what well, probably the most bizarre experience, or the two most bizarre experiences of like following them, first one, they won the league. And if a team in Monterey wins the league, they take over the city. So it's like everyone went to Macro Plaza, which is their version of Zocalo, and it was literally packed, waiting on the team coming back from León to the trophy. A few weeks after that, um, America actually qualified for the Champions League final, the CONCACAF one. And I couldn't go to the home leg because I was away in Guadalajara for a holiday. But I went to the away leg in the away end, paid like 2,000 pesos for a ticket, and it was just mental. They lost the game, but those games between Monterrey and Tigres were just madness all over the city. I think Um, there was
0: a stat about the... Uh, A lot of of friends and colleagues in the US get really uptight about viewing figures and you'd regularly see uh, uh, there was one weekend where Brighton and Bournemouth on a Saturday morning got more viewers. This is at a time when all the other Premier League games are going on. Brighton v Bournemouth, no, sorry, Bournemouth v Sheffield United got more viewers on TV than the two primetime MLS matches combined. And then... One month, the biggest TV viewing figure for football in all the United States was a Tuesday night women's game between Monterey and Tigres.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that, yeah. so even north of the border, it's serious.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> it is mad. Like, For example, the first derby I went to, the Monterey fans, they're called Rayados. And they'd basically shown up in cars on the main street where Tigres' stadium was and just started running people over. And they ended up having to call the two CEOs of the clubs, the two leaders of, like, the kind of ultras groups and a few other, like, delegates from the police and stuff in the city all had to go down to Toluca for a big meeting and they basically had to do, like, a ceasefire on national TV. So the first one I went to was absolute chaos, but the other three that I went to that season were actually a bit more... Chilled around the stadium just because they knew if they did it again, they were basically getting behind closed doors.
0: The way I've always described the pace of life in Mexico is uh, it's a great place to go if you're young and fit enough to run away from problems. Yeah, <clears throat> so we'll come on to, to Neil. What attracted you to Mexico and have you picked up a team?
4: Um, I suppose I, I transitioned from um careers from a different career about three years ago and I, I knew that the age that I was uh, when I did my like level ones and level well just my level one really I knew that I had to sort of work abroad because it would take me you know you hear some stories of people volunteering in academies and clubs in England you know I've been there 10-15 years and only getting to the first team and you know after 12 years of volunteering and moving through everything so I knew that I needed to accelerate my career and join try and join up the dots and get more exposure to sessions so um, I I first went to Vietnam, then I went to the US, and then Mexico. And also, I wanted to try and understand different ways of coaching in different countries, so uh, different methodologies and, and you know different associations and how they did it. So um, when Mexico came up, it was it was I'd always wanted to go to Latin America, so. It was um, another place to go which was way outside my comfort zone and something that I knew I would really pick up you know we were doing 12 sessions a week you know and then four or five games on a weekend so um, it really accelerated my career which is great uh, team-wise after about three weeks of getting there everything closed down to Covid so we were supposed to go to the Azteca on the like the third weekend and it was it was cancelled so uh, no, no team as yet um, my my normal team's Everton and we were in there. Uh, we played a few games a couple of weeks ago against, like, Pumas. and um, So, uh, Pumas, because I like the kit. Um, but, like, a couple of our players were, like, Leon and Tigres as well. So, uh, yeah. I Hopefully, I'll go back next year and I'll be able to go and pick up a team, I think.
0: I think the last game before they stopped fans going to the stadium was Atlanta United in the Champions League against America, the Aztec. I was desperate to go. But... Uh, I wasn't allowed. My wife said to me, oh, don't worry. You'll be able to go to the game next week. And then <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> COVID then happens. I, I feel I feel like I've got to get a lot off my chest about that. I, I try not to bring it up, but I keep seeing highlights and clips of that game from an online course I'm doing. They're using specific plays from that match. It just feels like it's rubbing salt in the wind. Anyway, Chris Hames, I remember you had a bit of trouble trying to pick a team. Did you ever settle on one?
2: Never settled on a team. Um, no, I I mean Club America's got to be up there in terms of just the experience of going to the Azteca. Um, you know, uh, lucky enough, I think, first or second game in which I went there, which was one of their sort of classicos, I suppose you call it, against Chivas. Um, unbelievable experience and we used to have everything mixed and And so that experience, I mean, it ended up being the most boring game of football in history, I think. But just that experience of being in an absolutely packed out Azteca. Um, Also, Azteca and and Club America will forever give me the experience of being able to watch Ronaldinho um, and watch him live and the 15 minutes that he was on the pitch and the fact that they were bad enough at that point that he was still able to sort of cause them problems and, and, you know, entertain me. So, yeah, I think... There's always that side I, I ended up coming home with a, with a puma shirt when what managed to go to it's watch quite a few of their games as well um, of course you've got to come home from Mexico City with it with a puma shirt I think that's that's just sort of a golden rule of it really um, we went to cruisers all for, a, for for a game again I think the only game that I've ever seen that rivals that that horrendous Club America and, and Chivas game in terms of um, how bad it was! In fact, the only reason we went, Will, you, you were just so desperate to watch Roque Santa Cruz not do anything for ninety minutes. So a penalty, um, didn't he, he missed, he missed a penalty, and yeah, uh, I, I don't think I ever forgave him for that one. I think that was the moment I decided to leave. So yeah, ne- never ended up picking a team, but have sort of followed the whole system really since, and, and sort of fell in love really with the with the way that despite how mental and, and ridiculous the league system is actually sort of fell for the way that they do it and you know do very much keep up with the whole system um so sort of quite religiously really uh, whether that be through twitter or, or just checking on highlights and things so uh, yeah very much in that way
0: i've got two memories that stick out from from those games you mentioned well actually three the the chivas america game although it was boring do you guys remember because chris bennett didn't you go to that game as well which one? 0-0 uh, when Chivas had a chance to get relegated.
1: Yeah, I was in the box. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. So, do you, either of you remember seeing that Chivas fan outside a stadium with a goat on a leash? It was a, a little white goat and he was wearing a Chivas shirt.
3: <laughs> I do remember seeing this. It wasn't at that game. Well, I remember when it was my first trip to the Azteca with another coach. Um, we were stupid enough to think, oh, we could just turn up on the day and get tickets because we didn't know we knew Club America were playing, but we didn't know who they were playing until we got to the stadium and then realized, oh crap, it's Chivas, it's basically Man United versus Liverpool of Mexico. Um, I do remember seeing a goat with a Chivas shirt on. Uh, we never actually got into the stadium that game. Uh, we tried getting tickets touted, and they were offering. As soon as they found out we were gringos and foreigners, they were like, Yeah, we can get you a ticket, four thousand pesos each. And both me and the coach at the time were just skint because we just started working over there and we said, No, we can't afford it. Um but the atmosphere outside the stadium was amazing. But um I do remember seeing a goat with a shirt. I definitely remember that. On that day,
0: we were, there, we were in quite a hurry because I wanted to stop and ask if the goat had a ticket. Well, I never got around to it. Um I think it was Chris Haynes that cruisers all game. Uh, that was the game. Afterwards, we we're in the street, and that dad was trying to marry me off to his daughter.
2: He was, yeah, and, and we. I think we got asked to stop for photos by about three different people. I was definitely seeing flashes of a different life so, yes, and <laughs> stuff. Uh, it was. It was a hell of an experience. I think that one, and um, I think I've still got a probably not in here, but I've still got some cruiser all bits from that day because I just thought at, at the end of that one, it was it was that poor and now definitely was never going back. But it was, it was a hell of an experience in terms of, I think just the environment and everything was just completely different to the other two. I think you go to the Azteca and, and I'm sure everyone will agree whether you, you like it there or not, it is something that is incomparable to probably anywhere else in the world just when it's full and, and everything in that sense i think when you go to um pumas it's you are definitely watching football in a different country i mean the day i went there it must i don't know what te- you know it was absolutely horrendous temperatures five minutes sat without any form of shade and you were you know you were edible i think um but going to sort of cruisers all well was was a a bit more like being back in Europe. It was a bit more sort of normal, I suppose. So it was a slightly reflect- refreshing change. But yeah, it was uh, probably the one that didn't leave the most lasting effect in terms of the overall sort of club experience. There.
3: Yeah. Yep. Has anybody the... been to the international for an international game at the Azteca? then
2: yeah.
1: I was with you for the El Salvador. Yeah. I remember
3: you. I I remember you were there with us. Uh, that was a, that was unbelievable.
1: I also I also went to your... Sorry, a year later when they played America, just after Trump got the presidency. Oh wow, <laughs> and that was electric. Was that the one one when Michael Bradley chipped the keeper? Yeah, he scored for them inside his own half. I
0: was I was in a bar in uh, oh, in Bacalar watching that and just stunned. The audacity to try what he did, and the, I mean he, he's not a player you, you know for for flair or vision, and yet he's done that
1: in the Azteca. That was it was funny. Yeah, yeah. The, the absolute scenes in the away end. But they were, I, I thought some of them were going to fall over the top tier. <laughs> so going back to the Ronaldinho game, I still
0: use that goal. Um, I think it was his second goal <laughs> where he, he did a, a fake shot and a nutmeg to the defender from the edge of the box and just calmly placed it in the corner. I still find that video clip on YouTube and show it to kids when I'm trying to teach, and how to disguise your intentions and how to read what the defender's doing when you're trying to make a shot or a pass I, I use that example quite a lot so I'll get on to, to some of the questions more about the, the coaching and and the culture but I, I feel like I, I need to to confess and get this off my chest of the world uh so the reason why I came to Mexico was because just like all you guys said it really appealed to me the different culture and it's a football crazy culture country I also wanted to try and learn Spanish too so that was an appeal to it Uh, so I was working in Kuwait and I wanted to leave when my time was up there and I had seen the job for Mexico I think summer camps the year before and I was hoping at some point you know another opportunity is going to come up I really like to go to Mexico that'll be fun and then it came up and I sent off my CV, got offered an interview. And then, unfortunately, because of the huge time difference, when Q8 is three hours ahead of the UK and Mexico is six hours behind, I got offered an interview at a really inconvenient time when uh, it was our boss's birthday in Q8. Now, it's eight years later, so I can't get in trouble for this. So we've gone out for our birthday. I'm not a good liar. And I was talking to my, the guy I was living with really, really good guy uh who is one of those arseholes that speaks five different languages fluently such such a prick i mean how dare he make the rest of us feel mediocre like that but i say what should i do i want to go this is this is a brilliant opportunity i I would love to do it and he said well just you know fake that you're sick and drive home that might work how am i going to pull this off so we're halfway through dinner i've made sure i've finished my plate and i've I've left some cash there. Oh, oh, no. Um, I think my stomach hurts. Oh, Will, are you okay? Oh, I must have eaten something really bad. I'm, I'm trying to look as gormless as possible.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, you, you better go home. Uh, sorry, I know it's your birthday, and I'm, I'm really sorry that I, I, I let you down. Th- oh, no, it's all right. You, you go home, make sure you feel better. So I did, in the car, and... Uh, Got back to the, to the apartment to do the interview. Now, talking to two guys who were interviewing me over Skype. Remember Skype before the pandemic and before Zoom? It was the go-to app, wasn't it? For some reason, we now use Zoom. But nevertheless, microphone issues. They couldn't hear me very well. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Getting closer and closer to it. And now I'm, I'm leaning forward and I'm bent at this really strange angle. Oh, yeah, we can hear you fine now. So I'm looking around at how I can manipulate the laptop and the sofa so that I can communicate clearly to these guys who are interviewing me. And end up having to lay down completely horizontal so that my head was next to the microphone so they could hear me clearly. And for about 20 minutes, it was it was Tommy and Matt and they were interviewing me while I'm laying down on the sofa and they can only see half of my head. And I think there's absolutely no way that I've got this. I've completely buggered this, surely, because they, they're going to think I'm a right twat. But it turns out, a few months later when I'm there, I asked them about that. I said, you know what? We were actually impressed with how resourceful you were. <laughs> there was a problem, and you solved it, and you still gave coherent answers. So
3: uh,
0: <laughs> there, there are always ways to overcome your, your barriers with, with technology. Now, let me ask them, football or otherwise... What did you enjoy about Mexico? What did you, you really like? And when you look back, you think, what are some of the, the fun things that you missed? Now, who would like to go first? Because that's a big question. Any volunteers or I'll pick. All right, Chris Haymes.
2: Yeah, I think, sounds like I'm probably swerving it a little bit, but just the overall culture, I think, was was the thing that struck me most. I mean, I didn't really go into it on the last one, but. You know, I I didn't have a clue what I was expecting to go out to. Um, I'd been probably similar to sort of what Brendan was saying in that I'd sort of reached my point. I'd reached an end and I sort of just started applying for jobs and and applied for one. And within two weeks, I was, my feet are on the ground in a completely different place of a city that I genuinely didn't know what I was expecting. Um, It was only when I arrived, I seem to recall sort of geography lessons from 10 years earlier where we'd had to, realize about it being this you know, massive city with 20 plus million people and I genuinely didn't know I arrived at one in the morning sort of got shepherded into this weird little flat where they'd forgot to wash the bed in. so I had a uh, sleeping bag on a on a bed in a room that had been half built in in the in the living room and woke up in the morning I did not know what to expect and, and thankfully I had good you know really good flatmates who sort of showed me around and just from minute one even just the walk from a flat to a a supermarket just doing something like that was so refreshing so sort of sort of cleansed you it felt um to begin with just being in a completely different part of the world so easily you know it was a whatever it is it's a 12 hour flight perhaps and you're suddenly waking up in this place where Hang on, the weather's nice and, you know, you you you're having to speak to people in a different language or, in my case, didn't know the language at this point. So just sort of looking and, and nodding and, and not really understanding. And I think sort of from minute one, it absolutely took me away. And I was really quite lucky with, within myself, just how I adapted and something I've never done. Um, and then throughout the time that I was there, I think very few things really got to me about the culture of the place I just absolutely loved the the overall sort of setup and the layout and even the bits where it was a little bit difficult or you did feel very crowded at times because there was so many people constantly around you and so much noise it just seemed to be exactly what I wanted and exactly what I needed at that point away from I suppose, what normal life is in that sense. So that's the thing I probably always go back to about Mexico. That's the thing I always talk to people about. And and the thing that really probably strikes me in terms of the overall experience was just that complete, it's not trying to be an America. It's not trying to be England. It's not trying to be a European city. It is just this completely different, very unique, um, very much itself kind of place. So Neil, we'll come to you. <clears throat> uh, what did you enjoy about Mexico? Or what do you because you're
0: going back there, aren't you?
4: Yeah, I suppose yeah, yeah, for Mexico and like for quite a few of my jobs that i have had coaching abroad is that when you what the first day you land until you sort of fly back out is that there's sort of nowhere to hide. Like you, you're forced to um, try and pick up language really quick to either get anything done or you've got you've got to really learn on it. And it's Mexico's brilliant at that because although that I suppose my experience out there is that they're so friendly, like the culture you talk about, and you know, the, they were always trying to help. And but also, as well, <laughs> sometimes they tell you to fuck off, like they just do you know what I mean? They're, they're either or. There's that it's I've never really been to another country and I've traveled a lot that's sort of like that. It's yeah, you, it depends how you're going to take them on the day. So, um, yeah, that that experience where you've got to. You've got to grow uh, to be able to do anything and, and to survive, sort of. So it really forces you to do that. But, um, yeah. Um, and the people, you know, I was a chef for twenty years, so the food for me was, you know, part and parcel of going to these sort of different countries. You know, the street food and even the sort of really good restaurants. You know, it's all it's all this really big mixing pot. It's it's an amazing see
0: So <clears throat> we'll come to uh, we'll go, Brendan, shall we?
3: Yep. Um, I think I miss Mex- Mexico even now. Um, it was an amazing experience. Um, footballing wise, it's just a completely different style. Um, it's so competitive. Um, even at the youngsters, um, it's it's unbelievable how competitive it can be and how people are so involved in games, even if it's under 12s, Um, you've got fan, you've got friends. Um, of kids playing. They've got bands playing that you've got it's literally it's a stereotypical like FIFA game if you're playing in say like an uh, an Latin America side where you can hear the bands playing everything like that. I've had that experience many times at games uh where I'm like, bloody hell, this is a little under twelves game and it's grassroots. Like, what the hell's going on? Um and it's just that's that's normal um over there. Um again, going back with just you're out of your comfort zone. Um, and you have to adapt, and you have to adapt quick. Um, Similar to Chris, flying in late. um, When I first landed, again, it was like 9 o'clock at night. I've been flying for like 18 hours with a stopover in Cancun. Uh, Didn't know any language at all of Spanish, and then realising that my phone doesn't work over there for the internet because it's an English SIM, not not an international SIM trying to speak to a police officer to say, how can I use the internet on, like, their airport's Wi-Fi? And they're just going, no English, uh, no, I've no English. So I'm just thinking, okay, I'm guessing he means he doesn't speak English. And then somehow trying to get in contact with uh, my boss who was picking me up. And eventually, fin- finally, we were, we met just outside the Starbucks, just by chance, I think, more than anything. And then getting brought back to... Um, Ironically, the 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 room that Chris ended up staying in, when he was there, um, I only found that out about a month later when I was cleaning the room, and then found out found one of his old cards from I think he was when he's been to the casino or something, um, which I thought was quite funny. Um, a of you
2: Found in there, Brendan. Don't worry. About I
3: know. That. I'm I'm glad I found that. Um, <laughs> I was quite fortunate. Um, there was in the house but we was at. There was only myself and another um, coach called uh, Joe Brady, who was such a great guy, um, similar to me. He'd only been there for about two weeks. Um, bit of an introvert himself um, in there, so he'd like his own space. And it was quite nice that he'd be, obviously, we'd be quite open, but he'd show me around everywhere, like um, going to where the supermarket is um and then showing us what type what foods what foods there is um what's to buy um and then obviously going for some food trying to order just a normal burger king for my first meal over there and just pointing out what the sign was and they're just not understanding me and i'm not understanding them um i think again um the culture as a whole um they're really welcoming um if you try and speak the language they they, they really empathize and understand try and help help with you um whereas if you are ignorant and and you just try and be a typical Brit abroad by going oh we're better than them and it just don't work because they'll just like you say tell you the fuck off or they'll go right I'm having you and they'll just rinse you um whatever way possible whether that's financially or just taking the mick out of you um funny enough I remember a story it wasn't I was in Mexico but it wasn't to work in Mexico Um, I went to Monterey to get my visa to go back to the US Um, and I remember turning up at three o'clock in the morning to queue up for the embassy and it was 200 people deep in the line at Mexico. I turn up as an Englishman, the security guard looks at my passport and my application and says, right, come with me and puts me right at the front of the queue and felt like I was public enemy number one with all the Mexicans looking at me. Fortunately, I could speak Spanish at that time, so I could be able to speak to them, and a lot of them were talking, like, asking me questions and, like, oh, why are you here? Um, explained, obviously, that I have a fiance that's Mexican, and then started going on and having a bit of banter, saying, uh, Mexican women, beautiful women, but fucking crazy. And just, like, yeah, definitely agree with that. And then they were just really welcoming and opening them, um, where if I was an ignorant Brit, then I probably would have had dirty looks and yeah it could have been could have been a lot worse but definitely uh, different experiences that just put you out of your comfort zone
0: i can relate to a similar experience when i was working for a company in the us and had to get a visa i went to guadalajara and uh, this company is now known for <laughs> a lot of visa issues but uh, i've gone <clears throat> i've gone to guadalajara my dad's coming me for a laugh We accidentally booked, or my wife accidentally. She's not funny enough to have done this on purpose. She accidentally booked me and my dad a love hotel. So I show up with a a boy thirty years older than me. (laughs) But for those of you that have seen my dad, he's you know six foot four, twenty stone. So we we look right sight going into this place. You know, with it's hearts everywhere, and you got suites named after different things. now, i honestly wish i could give my wife credit for having done that on purpose but she didn't know but so we had to spend a couple of days there while i get the uh get the visa and getting an 18 month visa to work in america and i get to the front of the queue after about four hours sweating in line all surrounded by people and i'm going through all the questions and i'm reading off of the scripts that i've mentally rehearsed from what the company had given me because you know Some of the jobs in the US, you have to say certain things that aren't necessarily embedded in reality. And then right at the end of it, she says, you know, what countries have you been to? Because America want to know where you've been and what you've been up to in case you're doing anything that you shouldn't be, according to their laws. And she then says, yeah, I've been to Liberia?" Liberia. Liberia, that's kind of near... Ghana, Sierra Leone, that uh, way. No, I've never been, never been that way. No, I think Liberia is known for George Weir, it, obviously. And so no, not been to Liberia. but on my computer, it's come up. There's a man with the same name as you, who has been recruiting child soldiers. Well, uh, it's definitely not me. I'm, I'm not organised enough to do that. I wouldn't even know how to begin. I don't feel passionately enough about any kind of issue to start an army, let alone get uh, child soldiers involved. She says, well, I can tell it's not you. I'm sure she's got a picture of the guy. And I, I, I believe I don't look like a, a typical Liberian. But nevertheless, she's had to do uh, her background checks just in case. And she'd asked for a couple uh, numbers of people she can call to verify that aren't family. And I give her a, a long-term family friend. And then I give her one of my best mates who I've known since I was three. And then afterwards, I'm walking out of the embassy going, crap, that was a stupid idea because my mate's gonna get a phone call and they're gonna say, hi, we need to talk to you about William Wilson. We're from the US government. Uh, has Will ever recruited child soldiers? And I think my mate's gonna say yes, isn't he? He's gonna stitch me up. So fortunately, he never, ever got that phone call. So I was very lucky that he, he didn't expose my network of recruiting child soldiers. So uh, Chris Bennett, we'll come on to you.
1: <laughs> what did you enjoy about Mexico? Um, to be honest, mate, I actually enjoyed everything about it, apart from probably the one thing, and that was punctuality. Uh, in hmm, terms of yeah. like, being on time, responding to things on time, Obviously the, the famous phrase is mañana, mañana, but mañana actually means in in three weeks. So that's probably the only thing I didn't enjoy. Uh, the food definitely wasn't an issue for me. Uh, drinks and stuff, not an issue. Love the weather, even though I've got, obviously, Scottish skin, still enjoyed it. Um, having the beach within driving distance was nice. The views that you can get that you're never going to see in the UK. Like, for example, where I lived in Monterrey, we were surrounded by mountains. Similar as well in Mexico City, but we were a lot better in Monterrey. Um, the people in general, the people in general were fantastic. They pro- I, I actually never had a class or a lesson or anything for learning Spanish. Everything I learned, I basically picked up from the friends that I made and also the kids that I coached. I'm probably quite lucky to be in a position that I'm still in constant communication with not just the people I worked with over there, but also the people who I was kind of, like, working for, as in, like, the parents and stuff, the friends that I made that weren't expats, and that's helped me to kind of, like, continue the language. I can still, because I don't speak it as often, I'm probably a little bit more slower than what I was when I actually lived there. Usually takes me about three weeks to get back up to speed. But in terms of reading and writing, I'm still pretty close to fluent um and i reckon if i landed there tomorrow i've got at least 30 40 people i can just pick up the phone to and i'd have i'd have a place to stay if i wanted for a holiday or even if i just wanted to go do something just in general people would always answer the phone had great relationships with just about everyone
3: we've
0: talked a lot about the good and one of the things that a lot of people this, and you guys have all alluded to is that they are some of the happiest friendliest most helpful people on the planet and it's a bit of a cliche but they they say that a lot of mexicans if you stopped and asked them for directions even if they didn't know they, they just make something up because they want to sound helpful and every day you, you're seconds away from a party from something just turning into hey should we get a few beers and invite some people around and put some food on or or go out and within minutes of meeting people they will treat you like family Uh, and I've been very very fortunate for some of the great people I've met like my my wife's family and all of their friends that they instantly took to me and my parents as well and made us feel like we were part of it and because of they're just such hospitable people anyone who speaks even the tiniest bit of English will do whatever they can to try and communicate with you and even if your spanish is a million times better than their english they will still want to try and help you in english what do you want to say
1: well sorry can i just jump in see when you're you're talking there about them being like the nicest people in the planet and all the rest of it i think a perfect example this is probably a good story to share is i went to your wedding right and i went with my girlfriend at the time i can't is it eric yeah eric You, you introduced me to eric right I didn't know Eric from Adam, right? Two guys literally just met that night, got talking. But obviously I was travelling to Buenos Aires uh, like three days later, after your wedding. In the space of like 48 hours, that man went from not knowing me to hooking me up with a ticket into in your Stadium for a game. Cost, cost me nothing. Did that all off his own back. So, I mean, if that doesn't show... But the way people actually go out their way for you over there, then I don't know what else will. Because those tickets was, Chelsea, they, they were gold dust to get. Like, you just can't get into Box Junior Stadium if you're not a season ticket holder. And he, d- he didn't just get me a ticket for the game, he got me a press pass. <laughs> I ended up in like the VIP section. I got to go down, do the interviews and stuff. And it was the same day that they paraded uh, Daniele De Rossi after he signed from Roma. So I, I'm very thankful for that.
0: Eric collects football shirts and I collect scarves and we try and get each other stuff for Christmas and birthdays. And uh, for some reason, he really wanted a Wales shirt, which we got him this summer. And But I think his favourite shirt is the Blackburn Rovers shirt I got him, obviously. And he bought me this hat, uh, on ironically, and I wear it, ironically. <laughs> they, they, they thought this was pretty cool. and That's why I've got this, this thing on right now.
1: Uh, <clears throat> sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll send you down a Celtic jersey for him then
0: oh yeah he, he would love that because his collection is, is huge and he's got a very um, very understanding and tolerant wife Leslie who doesn't mind the massive closet space that he's taken up with all those shirts from around the world and his, his little daughter he makes her speak three languages and she's learned all these football chants of, of his favourite teams from around the world so they're, they're Football crazy over there. So it's a a great place to go to immerse yourself. And the wonderful thing about Mexico is that I think in England we can be quite Anglo centric. And if it's not a top Premier League team, we don't particularly care about it. And you'll see it reflected in the pundits on TV. And one of the famous examples I remember is uh, when Alan Shearer didn't know who Hathim Ben Arthur was. And I think anyone who played FIFA or foot manager knew who Hathim Ben Arthur was. Anyone that had a Watch any bit of TV that wasn't English knew who it was, so we, we we can be quite ignorant here, whereas in Mexico they got all the games on from all over the world all the time, and that that's that's great, and I I love it because they, they follow it all too so reflecting on on some of the things that we might have found a bit difficult so Brendan, you mentioned how a lot of the youth games were the atmosphere was <laughs> this rivaling some professional matches you go to, my nephew when he was uh, about 7 uh, my boys played against his team and we played against him a few times and they have this granddad that would show up in full kit right? so he was wearing the exact same shirts, shorts and socks as the kids now here we would think that was completely laughable wouldn't we? Uh, but over there that was part of what they did I mean you dressed up to show support now it didn't help that he'd bring a tambourine and the trumpet um, would make no- noise and sing songs all game, but as a as a spectacle, it, it's it's interesting. But as a coach, it's annoying because you've got a lot of parents now giving lots lots of information and instructions to their kids, and you've got a lot of people that are putting a lot of pressure on their children to perform. So, one big issue for me was how uh, there was a race to get through to 11 v get there as quickly as we can some of that might have been due to the facilities so they just play whatever numbers were appropriate for the pitch that they had but uh, I remember with, with five-year-olds we were doing like 77 and then a year later we're going to 99 and the mums and dads are screaming at them all the time and uh I say well this isn't helping the reason why they're not very good is because the goal is massive and it's way too far away from the other goal uh, this is not uh this is not helpful at all but <clears throat> there was one one time where we were unfortunately put in the wrong division for this bunch of boys and we played against a barcelona franchise right and they would hoover up all the best kids in the area and they they destroyed us 18-1 in a game you got these six and seven year olds one kid took it on the chest and volleyed it without a bounce in the top corner from 20 yards at seven and we should not be in this division but people that don't think on football they don't have that progressive mindset of perhaps we should adapt this in some way that makes makes it more appropriate for the kids and their development and because the parents would get so into the football the pressure on the kids they had to I went there with the opinion that Mexico would be similar to Spain, right? It would be possession, a lot of build-up, a lot of change of pace within the game. And it was very direct and very kind of English, but none of them could head the ball. So I think, why on earth are you playing long ball and putting crosses in when no one can head it? Now, contrast that Barcelona team that destroyed us 18-1 to my boys. Uh, because we worked at a private members club, and uh, you didn't, there wasn't really a tryout process. Anyone that could afford the extortionate fees was allowed on the team. And you know how a lot of parents are; they can't quite see the ability or lack thereof from their own children. A few weeks earlier, we were playing a game seven v seven with our uh, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And we're defending for ages. I'm looking around, why Why does it seem like we can't get out of our own half? Why does it seem like the opposition always have a spare man? Do we have less players than them? And so I looked over and I saw in the other half of the pitch were two of my boys and they were 30, 40 yards away from the play. And they're about two feet away from each other, staring each other face to face. And they pulled their shorts down and were comparing... During the game, right, and I'm looking at him and I don't remember anything on any of my FA courses on how to handle this situation, but I'm also feeling quite vindicated because I'm going, Look, mums and dads, that's why we lose 18 1, right? It's not me, it's because your kids are, are doing that during games. So these two dads then went crazy and ran on the pitch, like, pull your shorts up, pull your shots up, pull your shots, and the kids look at them so there was definitely unrealistic expectations which is not necessarily unique to Mexico now before I hand over to you guys also some other things that took a bit of getting used to for me were the 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 punctuality was a real pain in the ass because I felt like you couldn't get things done because you couldn't trust when people would or wouldn't turn up and the amount of bank holidays that we had so in the first six months it felt like every third week was a bank holiday and it just so happens that there is uh, quite a few quite a few holidays particularly in may i think the first week in may you had about three or four days off through uh your teacher's day so that meant a day off school and your day of work which meant a day off work because you celebrate having a job by taking a day off and then there's uh, Cinco de Mayo which is not as serious as the Americans make out but some people would still do some so there was it just felt like you couldn't gain any momentum because there was always a break there was always uh, like a, a gap in the schedule and another thing was a huge difference in culture the amount of kids that wouldn't show up to a game because uh know, why aren't you coming this weekend Oh, because it's my granddad's birthday. So what? I mean, when it's my granddad's birthday, I'll pop around for 10 minutes and give him a card. And I thought, I know, we're all going to the beach for three days, like 30 of us. So where they're a lot more family-orientated, so <laughs> yeah, perhaps most of us do just fob off our grandparents with like a token visit and you know, a gift voucher to the, the garden centre. But because they were taking their, their family so seriously, any birthday a lot of kids would, would go missing and and you wouldn't see it on the weekend. But another thing which is probably a bit more sombre and surreal is after working in football for a few years, you kind of feel like you've seen or you've heard every excuse, right? So why weren't you at training? Oh, dog ate my homework, all that kind of nonsense. And there are a few times I felt like that from some of the, the kids and the parents in Mexico, but... The one that sticks with me is this one kid. I hadn't seen him for weeks and had would not said anything. I was quite annoyed by it, but I don't get annoyed or angry to the kids because it's, you know, unless the kid owns the car, it's never their fault. You should never punish the kid for being late. So what? where have you been these last few weeks? Expecting some lame answer. Oh, my granddad got shot. He was carjacked at a red light and he's been in hospital. All right. Uh, fair enough. I mean, that's... Uh, definitely a valid reason for, for not coming to practice and and most people you talk to seem to have some kind of story similar to that and you guys would have seen it on on facebook every couple of weeks some friend would be saying something like uh new phone guys uh, text me your numbers because they would have been mugged somewhere and as you guys are <laughs> when i got mugged that one night on the way back and uh that that was it, funny upon upon reflection because uh, nothing serious happened they just took my wallet and uh and my headphones and my phones and i as they run off with my phone my headphones are still attached to my head and so they're now running off to get back in their car and you can feel my headphones now tugging <laughs> i'm stood there like an idiot and, <laughs> and finally they just hang off and the guys drive away with my 20 pound note which i I would love to have known how they how they responded to that. On Eric, put up and see the union jack on the, on the driving license and then picture of the queen. Right? What do you do with this this purple bit of paper? What's that worth? So, what for you guys and who would like to go first took a little bit of getting used to out in Mexico? Anyone want to share? I think uh, I'll go. Go on.
3: Then, uh, I think, like Chris said, punctuality is something. I did take a while to get uh, get used to, like you say, manana, manana. It's always longer than that. Um, the bureaucracy as well of just getting paperwork done, um, even, for, even for your own visa. I remember I flew out in September and then I was there until the end of October and then I finally got my Mexican visa uh, when I had to fly to Miami to get it all sorted um that took a long time and then it's the same with um banking um trying to get a bank card um sorted out and the medical insurance um a story on that one um i became seriously ill uh, just after i got my visa uh, funnily enough um back in october that time and it got to the point where i was seriously ill um ringing my boss as early as possible trying to get in hold of him and it's basically coming both ways um, due to some dodgy food. Um, finally getting in touch with him and he gives me an electrolyte drink and it comes up straight away both both ways um, and says, well, we can't do anything at the minute until you stop being sick and you stop shitting. So I'll see you in a couple of hours and basically left me there in in the flat with my other colleague who obviously didn't know what to do. Um fortunately, my fiancé, who, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, having only been dating for three, four weeks, um, begging her to come and come to me uh, because I felt like I was dying. Um, finally, she was able to come and basically m- my work colleague in the house had to go to work. So he was late for work because she didn't have a key to get in and I couldn't get to the door because I was that physically weak. Um, and when we finally got me into her car to get to a doctor's that she knew. Um, The doctor was like, he needs to go to a hospital. He needs to go to a hospital now. And she had him having to explain, I can't go to a hospital because I don't have any medical insurance. I don't have my medical insurance details because I hadn't been given my bank card with my medical insurance on it. Fortunately, he was able to get me the stuff for it. And within a week, I started feeling better and was having to obviously pay for it. Um, by the end of the week, the doctor said if you didn't get better in two weeks, you probably would have not, in two days, you probably would not have made it. Um, so that was something um, that worried me a bit. And I finally got my medical stuff a week before I left in June um, of 2016. So that's how long it took to get the paperwork sorted out. Um, same for coaching. Um, there was another example where we're getting players playing in league. That we're in, and then the league say, right, if you don't have an ID card for these players by this date, you will not be able to play them in the league, whether you've got the paperwork to prove that they're registered. But yeah, it was the league that weren't giving us the ID cards to the point where we had to drive down to the headquarters of the uh, of the league uh, in the morning and sit there for two hours for them to just go, all oh, right, print them, laminate, stamp them, laminate them, and that's all they needed to do. But again, it just took them so long. Um, I'm trying to think I'd say it's more some of the colleagues that we worked with um, Mexican colleagues, really great some of the other English coaches that we worked with were not the best um, very ignorant British and think that they're better than everybody um, and better than yourselves whereas us as a whole here are welcoming look, looking to help, help each other give advice on coaching whether that's on Twitter or obviously in person and stuff where some of the coaches that I was working with at the time were very negative and it was a very toxic um, atmosphere uh, which was one of the reasons why I decided that I didn't want to carry on. Um, the country was amazing but I just thought there's some of these people who were not the best, uh, had the best intentions um, for coaching or for obviously themselves so that was something that I struggled with as well but other than that like I say it was an amazing, amazing experience.
0: Unfortunately, you can get quite a bit of that abroad no matter where you go, where I've often referred to them as cowboy coaches and the United States is full of them, where unfortunately, because of our our accent and the prestige that comes with being foreign, like, <laughs> so people across the world, we seem exotic and, and knowledgeable and, uh, and they all the girls think we're, we're Hugh Grant and it's obviously far from the truth, but from a football perspective they all think we're we're brilliant without ever having to prove it and a lot of people do coast and you, you'll see that absolutely everywhere uh, not not just in mexico but a lot of people will, will coast not being in mexico funnily enough is also the only place in the world that i've experienced and other countries might have this phenomenon too where if you say you've got a stomach ache and you can't come to work there's no questions they believe you and it, every week or two You'd see someone in their session, Will, mate, can you just look after my kids? I've got to run. Yeah, mate. And <laughs> you'd see them legging it to the toilet while uh, holding onto their bum. Because uh, just unfortunately that's part of life. Something you're going to have to accept is food hygiene standards aren't the best. And uh, I-, I got done with that after I did uh, the half marathon. I ate some bad pizza. And... Uh, that was it. I was in hospital for a few days. And, again, both ends like a fountain. Not,
2: not... To this, to this day, Will, I'm still adamant that wasn't something you ate out. I am swear that was your, your cooking. Um, you were trying to put bolognese in the oven. Um, so I'm, I'm still, to this day, convinced <laughs> it's just your cooking of bolognese, spam and putting plastic in the oven.
0: That, I... I... I would agree with you if uh, that, a few days building up to that, I'd been, I'd been staying with my wife and I had not been cooking for myself. i been eating out and she'd been making food. I, I believe to that point, my awful cooking might have
1: actually built up a level of protection. <laughs> well, you need, well you, you need to remember as well, I've witnessed you put chips on the hob and burgers in the oven. I'm very sorry. I went Uh, to private school. They never taught us anything. And then then get offended when we ask you to drive drive us to McDonald's to get something proper.
0: Sorry, At my school, they expected that we'd be earning enough money we could pay people to do that for us. They they never taught us valuable life skills. They taught us how to to write, join up and to to speak eloquently, but they never taught us how to, you know, wipe our our own (laughs) house.
4: yeah i'm just gonna i'll just add to that it's, it always amazes me when people uh go to different countries and then you know uh complain or have like stomach ache and then you ask them about like, are you any good at cooking you're like well i mean like i can turn stuff on and like i could put i can boil milk you're like yes yeah, it's, it's definitely the other guy who's the chef there's the fault not you i love but
0: it we didn't have a microwave so i had to learn how to cook i mean I, I got my level one in toaster and I got my level one uh, I applied for my level two in microwave but I'd, I'd never ever done any CPD in an oven or a hob so I, I was really struggling with that but it was it was a lot of the street food what was the, the really good taco place around the corner Latoso's that was that was good you, you never really got issues from there but there was a few other ones that uh, they, they had a bit of a reputation but on some it just smelled too good on the way home you thought I'll, I'll risk it. I know what I'm getting myself into. I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. It's like, Who else wants to talk about some of the things that took a bit of getting used to out there?
1: Um, I've not had a go yet. For, for me, the main one was punctuality. Um, that's probably just down to me as a person because I like to plan things. I like things to be on time. I like things to run the way they should. Um, being a non-driver out there as well, I think having to rely on people Probably didn't suit me. So I think the majority always in here, no gus, Argentinian boy. Love him at pieces, he'd do anything for you. But when he actually gets round to doing it is another question. He couldn't quite grasp the, the concept of the session starts at five. You need to be there maybe you know, at least 15 minutes before, but always seem to be buying on time. Um you I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really think of too much else in terms of like just general living, because the other stuff would probably be more directed towards coaching. If I was to be really, really picky, the, the exchange rate to the pound did annoy me a little bit. I mean, when you're living there, yes, you can live like a king on, say, 14,000 pesos or whatever, but... I noticed a massive difference when I was actually teaching in a school and making 24000 a month. You you can have a much better life. Um, So I, whenever it was time to come home and, like, booking flights and stuff and trying to get by the first few weeks in the UK, you start to realise you, you weren't actually earning as much as what you thought you were. But other than that, I mean, I really do struggle to think of anything else just because... I, mean, I I really enjoyed my time there. Maybe the traffic in Mexico City as well oh, is, is a major issue, but it never really affected me because I was working at Club Reformer, so I was, what, a 10-minute walk from my house. I never really had to bother with that too much. The traffic yeah, is uh, kind of an
2: issue. Go on. I'll, um, I'll just jump in on that one, on, on what Chris was saying. So, yeah, you know, he was in the house 10 minutes around the corner from, from, from theirs. So I was at... Uh, one um i would like to say other side of the city but it definitely wasn't it was just yeah, it was the on the hill. yeah yes. and it's uh it's the sort of journey where one day it'll take you 20 minutes to get there in, in a car and then the next it'll take you three hours and i think so I, I was quite lucky you know my experience quite different from so i wasn't there the same time as brendan but from from will and chris in that i didn't really have any issues with punctuality of of uh, my players or, or any of the excuses, but sometimes you just would have to get used to the fact that you're just not going to get there. Um, I think there was a day that we set off and we we tended to try and get there um, a good couple of hours early because we were able to grab lunch and, and things in, in, in the club where we were setting and, and, it, and it worked quite nicely, but there was some form of parade or demonstration going on and, and basically every single route that we knew about as non sort of naturals to the area was was closed and yeah it was it was minimum three hours just to get through to get a 20- minute journey and we just sort of had to write off unfortunately an entire day's worth of of doing anything because you just could not get there so i think that was you know f- from my point there but just to build on what chris said it, it's it's the traffic sometimes it's the it's knowing that it's completely out of your hands which doesn't suit me and, and probably doesn't suit quite a lot of us in the way that we're used to things so um yeah you just you've, you've got to very quickly sort of calm and relax uh, on that really
0: definitely become a lot more at peace with that since i've gone back not working <laughs> i go back to to visit family and i've got you know a few weeks or a few days so i can just relax if things don't happen, that's absolutely fine. When you're trying to get work done, oh, it's such a pain in the arse, but I've got two things that I'll never get over. It's that one time we tried to go to uh, Club America versus Supriza in the Champions League and similar, whichever way you went, it just didn't work. And then another night, our wife and I were trying to go to a concert to see, it was Journey, Carlos Santana and all the guys from Creedence Clearwater Revival uh, that weren't John Fogerty so right up my street and it took us three hours to even get to the venue and couldn't even park when we got there so we turned around and went home. Go on.
2: Yeah I'm I'm still not having that again and Chris can back me up on this that was nothing to do with the traffic the night of trying to get to that Champions League game that was you driving us the opposite direction to the biggest building in in Mexico City Um, three times I think it was and then eventually we turned around so I'm not blaming the traffic on that, but I, I will I will allow you, your story on uh, on your other one. And I know there was a couple of other examples, but...
0: I heard a lot of very helpful suggestions from the back seat, but uh, they, they all kind of conflicted with what I was seeing in front of me. So we, we can all criticise from there, can't we? Try be the one. If you believe in the, in the constraints-led approach, uh, Mexico is one of the best places to learn to drive because you are... <laughs> you have so many uh, variables chucked at you that you need to be constantly scanning. It tests your perception action. Oh, it's an, insane for the driver. Because if it's not a pothole, it's another road user or it's a dog or it's uh, a street sign that's not been done properly. Or the, uh, My wife loves it over here because you know, our, our roads have got painted lines. So everyone knows where they're supposed to be going. And my father-in-law can't understand. like. Um, if we're driving and you come to a T junction or, or someone's a, about to try and come out into your lane, you slow down and you flash and they pull out in front of you. And he can't believe that he thinks it's such an alien concept because they fight for every inch of space on the road. Uh, and it, it's such a different, very, very different face of life when, when it comes to the, to the driving. The, you know, I can answer right that. Oh, go on, Brendan.
3: About the roundabouts as well. Uh, I'm just gonna say the, the the way the system of the roundabout works over there um is completely alien. And having my fiance come over to the UK and when we first started dating and going round roundabouts in Mexico, I'm getting stressed going, how does this work? It how does anyone get round and get off? Having her come over, she she now understands it and she even she gets frustrated over her back in Mexico now saying this is not how a roundabout works. Whereas over the here, we problem. obviously know how to work it.
0: worst bit about that roundabout is, I don't know if it's a law, but it's definitely done in practice, is if you only... So, let think, if you're approaching a roundabout and the junction you need to come off is all the other way around about, around the other side of the roundabout, instead of going 360 degrees around, you won't, you'll just turn against the traffic. And so that's really difficult. If you're driving in a foreign country, you're already on edge because you're not quite used to it. The steering wheel's on the wrong side. There's no gear stick. And you've got to keep using everything as visual cues from where you are on the road. And then some dick is coming towards you. Is it me? Is it my fault? What? I thought I'm doing, oh no. It's just some idiot taking a shortcut across a roundabout going the wrong bloody way because he can't be asked to do an extra 20 seconds to do it the correct way. That stuff is, is frightening. But I think, Chris Hames, you always said that Mexicans are some of the best drivers in the world because how they're able to stand <laughs> and how they're able to cope and the, the ability, the reaction time that they show is, uh, to them, it, it's obviously normal. But it's, I suppose it's like the favelas in Brazil when everyone's playing football in such tight spaces all the time. Mexico has a similar effect on the drivers, which is why it's crazy to us that they get it.
2: Yeah, and the fact that the brakes always attached to the horn, I think, is is a really impressive one. But no, it's it. Do you know what? I, I was I was really lucky when when I started using. Um, I got access to you know, the company we were working for, the, the car to drive those up to, to the site further away. And you know, I, I, I faced very few problems on that. bit. I was very very lucky. But you sort of saw chaos around you, and it was sort of that peace, tranquil. Just sort of you just kind of got a. It's a very tiring experience, but I was I was very lucky that I didn't get involved in anything.
0: Where I think it helps to go to Mexico if you if you uh, are a bit of a nihilist. Yeah.
2: Oh, it, nothing really
0: matters, does it? Nothing has any inherent value. Let's give it a go, shall we? So Neil, how about
4: yourself? Try learning to ride your a motorbike for the first time in your life at forty one years old in Vietnam in Hanoi. That that'll set you right up for Mexico City, nice and easy. Uh, I thought it was great, you know, the traffic, every everything about it is really good. I suppose that now he's changed a little bit because we've obviously got a club that we've set up. So trying to um, do business now is 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 really quite difficult. It's you, you find that there's a lot of people in mexico that are willing to help even if they don't know how to help so you'll you'll get a lot of people going yeah, yeah i can yeah i know someone yeah i can sort it out and obviously they're trying to do something amazing right and you you know you're able to be able it's cash economies right they're always no they'll know someone who knows someone who knows someone but during that middle bit there's always people that you know like a little taste shall we call it so trying to get business done is 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 quite difficult but uh, my parents lived in Spain for like 10 years, so I'm, I'm fully aware that you've you, you just got to take it all with sort of a pinch of salt. And, uh, you know, it's not it's not going to happen today. It might happen tomorrow. It's probably going to be the day after. But as long as you're quite sort of relaxed about it it's, it, it's frustrating when you need to really get something done. So if you need to sign up for a league or, like you say, you've got to get ID cards for the players really quick, they... Um, you can get it done. It's just going to cost you more, right? So yeah, cash kind of. It's pretty. Mexico City is pretty similar to Vietnam, to be honest. Either the setup, the traffic, the the way that they sort of they talk to you and how helpful they are, and they can get it done if you pay a little bit more. So uh, yeah, getting business done can be quite frustrating. But...
0: Well, that's this next one. Let's go for relatively quick answers, and we'll finish off with our ideas on football and their potential. So, what is probably the best Experience you had in Mexico. Now, in case my wife ends up listening, I have to say it was meeting her just in case she does happen to click on the podcast at some point. But uh, I also have to give a lot of thanks to Chris Bennett because he reluctantly dragged me to a club that night when I really didn't want to go and couldn't be asked and don't like people and don't like music and don't like loud spaces and don't like crown spaces and don't like alcohol. you somehow convinced me to go out <laughs> and I, I met her and so best thing ever, but, uh, for the rest of you, what do you think would be your best experience? Also, I'm very very jealous, by the way, that you got to go and coach on the pitch at Estadio Azul. Um, I'm upset with that, but for the rest of you, what was your, your best experience out there? Who wants to go first?
1: Go on, Chris Bennett. Was I the only one that done it at Estadio Azul? Um, no, I've done it. Yeah, it was, it was a common thing. Yeah, but I didn't have
0: a team that was ever invited to it.
1: <laughs> the year we left, they'd done it at the, the Azteca. Yeah, I've seen the photos. Um oh, am so upset. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, what was the question? What was the best experience you had out there? Um, good question. Football-related. Whatever. If it's sub related even better. You know something... The I had the 2000 boys at Reforma which is basically at the time under our 14s team and we did quite well in the league but we got smashed home and away during the actual season by a team called Instituto Pedregal who beat us 5-0 away and 5-1 at home they were a decent side and when the way the league system works in Mexico the top 8 go into quarter final playoffs kind of American style got through the quarterfinal, got through the semi-final, and then obviously we got to the final. And just going back to what Brendan said earlier about how emotionally invested like parents become in the games, Like this was a massive deal like for the whole club because I don't think any of their teams had actually had much success for a while prior to like the, the foreign staff going in. And what an atmosphere... <laughs> We had at that final. We scored a free kick in the third minute, won the game 1-0. Literally backs against the wall the rest of the game, won one nil, And I think Will still got the video when the full-time whistle went. It was unbelievable. And I-, I can remember everything from that day, from we had a team breakfast in the morning at the club, travelling together to the, the venue where the final was played, what we did after, what we did that night. Just a brilliant day, and it's a—it's probably the best um, experience I had in terms of actually coaching. I know, <clears throat> obviously, development comes first, and all the rest of it, but it kind of blew me away—the fact that we had probably what? What would you say about four, maybe four hundred and fifty people were at that game, from like between both sides, because like people from the club and other categories showed up for that, and it was just. <laughs> Yeah, the atmosphere can, that was made from, like, 400 odd people was mental. Who, who's next? Well,
0: if you want a bit more time to think, I'll talk you through mine. So, the those 2001 girls at, at Reforma, <clears throat> and it's... The sad thing about social media where you keep in contact with people is you see kids grow old, and that makes you feel old. I'm now... Now, back in England, I'm coaching someone who's now 27, and I knew her when she was 16, and I can't get in my head that she's an adult with a job and a house. Uh, doesn't don't make any sense to me. But, unfortunately, the nature of being a coach and you, <laughs> you see uh, people aren't stuck in your memories; so they they move on and they grow. So, being able to see see them uh, as keep in contact and see what they get up to in life, it's really really interesting to see their journey. But back then. I've been working with them for just over a year and a lot of them didn't have much of a football background to begin with and some of them were fairly new to the game. But one of the things about Mexican football in general, the youth development system, is they don't really teach a whole lot of concepts in regards to understanding a principle to play. And where it's a football-mad country, I think like here, we're we're football crazy, but I uh, I would say, and you might disagree... A lot of people who are in football, watch football, or regularly participate in football, don't actually know a whole lot about football. So although they were thoroughly immersed within football, and they were all massive fans of Real Madrid, Barcelona, America, Cruz Pumas, and they watch it all the time, they didn't really know how to play. Now, I believe the goal of a coach, kind of paradoxically, is to make yourself obsolete you have to develop and teach your players so well that there almost comes a stage where they outgrow you, where they don't need you anymore. And I reached that epiphany with this team. So after a good year of a lot of really hard work and, and teaching them a lot of things, we were playing this one game away and we were all over this opposition. You I know, mean, our goalkeeper was kind of 30, 40 yards from goal, stood with our hands on our hips, not touching the ball. We only won 1-0. But the other team couldn't get the ball off us. They didn't have a shot. And I'm seeing these players making passing angles and uh, and keeping the ball for two, three minutes at a time. They all had their, their boots on the wrong feet that day, or else it would have been you know, 10 or 15 nil. But they're kind of a point in that game where I'm watching going, they, they don't need me now. I could walk away and they would perform absolutely fine without me because they've grown, they've learned. I've shown them... Enough, and I, I really, really love seeing. Obviously, you, you then once you reach that level, you, you kick on and, and progress and, and show them more. But I, I really felt like they had I, I'd, I'd reached a level where they had started to become independent. And a, a story to uh, give testimony to that is that when I was trying to teach a lot of concepts, because we mainly coach in English, because at the club where well, we were one of the big selling points of bringing our idiots in from the UK was that we would speak English to the kids. So two birds, one stone: you get qualified coaches and you get English teaching as part of that through how we were coaching uh, in the games and in the practices. But these girls hadn't been taught basic football concepts like overlaps and, and switching play. So when I asked them, oh, "Do you know what that is?" They'd say, "No." Do you know what it is in Spanish? Hmm, no. So you know when you give the ball to the winger and you run around them and you receive the ball further on the touchline? No, I don't know what that's called. All right, switch plays. So and You know when you pass the ball horizontally across the pitch to the other side. And, and so they started to use the English words and phrases in their own discussions. And there was one game where <clears> the <throat> so halftime it always encouraged the players to to have a chat and try and lead the discussion to give their input and. This one girl, left winger, was going crazy at the rest of them because she'd been completely open and they weren't passing to her. They they couldn't see her out there. And she was going, Niñez, siempre estoy into solo. Tenemos que switch the play. So she would ranting at them in Spanish, but then use the English phrase to describe what she wanted them to do. And I thought, well, that's both good and bad, right? Because it shows that she understands what the concept of switching the play is, but also sad that. She'd got to, what, 13, and no one had ever taught her that in Spanish. So I've got a lot of fond memories of of all the kids that i work worked with, but that that team in particular, uh, there were some very, very special special kids and special parents in it that I'm still in contact with because they're just such lovely people. So now that I've reminisced and brought a tear to your eyes, who would like to go next? <laughs> go on, Chris Hames.
2: Yeah, I think the, probably my favourite thing about the whole lot, I think from a football side, it was it was amazing being around um, sort of the players and, and sort of learning a new way to coach. Obviously, you know, I'm trying to coach them in, in a language that's which is a lot of their, despite the fact that their English was fantastic. Obviously, their football English not necessarily um, is the primary thing I taught at school. So you're trying to teach people in their second language and I'm trying to then relay things in a language which, um, you know, I managed to pick bits up but, um, you know, definitely wasn't something I was fluent in during my time there and you had to learn another way to coach and I came back and it it definitely sort of kicked me on and and I'd like to think it sort of gave me my leg up in getting me, you know, whatever my next job was when I came back and, and put me on the trajectory to where I am now. I think overall though it ended up being some of the people um, both, you know, the, the fellow, you know, English coaches and British coaches that we had out there, um, a number of which I'm, I'm still in contact with. You know, a couple that I lived with at the time, that absolutely fantastic. And, and you were able to go and whether it was go to go to games. We, we had a, a, a puente a weekend away where we went down to a hacker and, and just all of that side of things, you know, and, and those experiences that came, and then those that were the, the Mexican people that I met and over one of the Christmases um or over the Christmas that I was there I had only just flown out so wasn't coming home for home for Christmas quite a lot of the other coaches around um had gone um and no one left me to just be on my own I remember Christmas day I was sort of dragged to go and experience what a Mexican Christmas was or the, the evening before but obviously we have was Christmas Eve and um New Year dragged somewhere else to family who The only other person there who could speak any english was was the guy that that dragged me along his entire family all they found hilarious was trying to get me to sing um on the karaoke beatles songs and just which i can't sing at the best of times let alone um to a group of people whose idea of english is is listening religiously to, to beatles songs so i think that whole side of it coming away from a year of just um every day you know amazing people um experiencing new things and i think you know you, you come away and, and in the space of a year you've you've probably experienced 10 years worth of of memories and, and conversations and just moments really lovely who's next
4: yes yeah, suppose i'll go um i suppose best memories worst memory i suppose if that makes sense that actually, in fact, you know, I wouldn't be sat here now with still having a relationship and a business in in Mexico if if it hadn't come to an end the way it did. So, you know, it was very fortunate to have such a, you know, 12 months in, in Mexico and, and and understand the passion for trying to get people to play football rather than the pay-to-play model, which <laughs> infuriated me. It was just, it was a Drop your kids off, close the door. We'll train them for ten years, and then when they're seventeen, we'll see you later. And you know, without having that experience, which in the, in the main was really positive, without having the bad stuff of that, we I wouldn't have been able to make a difference that we are doing now and giving free scholarships. So yeah, I suppose bad memories to good memory, if that makes sense.
0: <clears throat> it's yeah, just like in the US, there's quite a few that are now seeing dollar signs everywhere they go that are trying to make a small fortune out of uh, let's say selling the dream.
4: <laughs> yeah and just to add to that I think it's uh, I don't necessarily blame the parents or the academy managers or, or whatever these people are that run the business. I sort of uh, I'm in the circle of education is key with all this and I think it's down to the national federations and I know the USSF have been doing work on it the past you know two to five years and helping coaches but if we don't change the education of the people that drive the kids to wherever they're gonna play, then how are we gonna to able to change this pay-to-play model? You know, there's there's some parents that we worked with that were asking more questions about our coaching abilities and certificates than they did ask questions about how their kid is gonna develop at the, at the academy they've been at for five years and do we have any assessments or IDPs they would be, you know, because they pay to play, is that there is a big angle on, well, my son or daughter should play on the weekend and get more minutes than someone else. So, you know, uh, without education at that higher level, you know, it's um, it's an uphill battle, really. But,
0: yeah. Well, I'll come to Brendan in in just a second. But my final question, just to wrap things up, because we waffled and shared a lot of stories. But everyone's got to come up with one thing. What needs to change for Mexico to reach their football potential? So, Brendan... Uh, before we answer that, talk us about your best experience in Mexico without think, mentioning your fiance if you can.
3: I think obviously it's going to be tough because obviously I've got to just in case. Um, but um, I think, seriously, no, I think it's the experience of just being out in a comfort zone. Um, personally, like I said, at a place, at a time in my life when I was not in a very good place, I would say it basically saved me. Um it was not looking good mentally that si- that time. So having that chance to go out go out and actually learn a lot about myself. Um and like Chris Ames has said, grow in 12 months much more than I had done in 10, 10 years beforehand. Um that was a great experience. More for the life experience rather than the coaching, just due to the clubs or the teams that I were assigned to at the time. Um it weren't the best. I had a team of kids of six year olds when I've only got three players. So we had no team, we, we only just did training. Um, we tried getting more players, uh, but just because it was at Reformer, there wasn't enough kids. And then having the Reformer 98 team um, in their first year of men's football. And they were getting to that age where football wasn't their priority anymore, it was either working or having a social life. So it ended up being, obviously, going there and then working at, uh, at, at Tecumachalco. Um, similar again, not really having enough kids to go for match days. So it was basically just training. So I didn't get much experience um, for the coaching at games, just training-wise. Um, but the life experience of just traveling around the city, around Mexico, um, meeting new people, meeting, obviously the fiance and the family and learning more off them and learning about their culture um, and made me really appreciate what I have in England and what we have and being very more understanding about it as well um, and just understanding that we're in a better situation than what a lot of other countries are in currently and obviously in the past and obviously how they deal with the corruption and how we get how we uh, take a lot of things for granted.
0: Definitely agree with <laughs> that. So then the last one, everyone, you're now on your soapbox, you're talking to the Federation, and you have a magic wand, and you can change something to help Mexico reach their full potential. Because I've often said if Mexico got their act together, you got 120 million people that are football crazy and you've got so many very very good things that the country can can draw upon. Mexico should have as many stars above the badge as Brazil does I believe but has royally messed it up on so many levels and they've taken a step backwards in my opinion by removing uh, relegation from the first division which is I think absolute bollocks it's becoming a franchise model like MLS and Anyway, if anyone would like to go first, because it's a, it's a massive, massive question. What would you change? What would you do? You've got a magic wand and the Federation are listening. What are you going to do? Who's going to be brave?
4: I'll take it first. I, you know, I mentioned it a little bit before. It's, uh, it's, all, it's all about education. It's all about their national FA of, you know, trying to really do Some of the good stuff that the English FA have done, but more probably the Welsh and the Scottish and Irish FAs have done, is, you know, digitise a lot of it if they can, but they need to get more standards and and raise their standards at the grassroots level and the academy level. You know, I think they're suffering from some of the things that we have over here and probably more they have in the US. That's just filtered down. So um, if they can get their coach education right, um, a more holistic process where, they, you know, a lot of the old school Mexican pros have gone into coaching. It's very much command and conquer, a bit like Vietnam, really. So, uh, coach education massively key. If they can sort that out and try and get rid of some of the corruption, like you know, to pay to get a trial, then that might help as
0: well. Absolutely, everyone there had a story about corruption. Someone they knew who couldn't get on a team because they couldn't afford it, or they couldn't get a place or a trial because someone didn't like them and when I funny enough uh Chris James you remember this because I think you you took a picture when I, I was somehow on talk sport there was a day in the FA Cup when uh, a lot of the, the big teams were knocked out by a lot of smaller teams and I can't remember who it was but rovers had beaten someone that day and I should remember because we don't win often as uh, so it should stick in the ring. but uh, someone it was Danny Kelly and Danny Higginbottom were on Talksport and they're bitching and saying what is it none of you are phoning in I mean this is a great day so many small clubs have beaten the big ones so where are you? so I, I sent them a message on Twitter and I said well I wasn't at the game but you know, if you want someone to talk to call me I'm in Mexico so they called me up and pretty much first thing they asked was what's the corruption like and I you that is it's a serious issue and it does permeate a lot of society and sport does reflect society a lot of those issues that that we see like over here yeah, there's still racism in sport there's still a lot of racism in society and in Mexico there's corruption everywhere so of course it's going to happen in football and it's one of those things that to change i would love to change coach education down there but i also think there's a lot of people that be resistant to it you know you get a lot of people who turn up and they do what they're told in order to pass the course which I could understand if the course is bad, but I think, uh, like we've had with uh, the youth modules, they're really good stuff. I think they're probably the best that I've ever done. And a lot of people still turn up to that and never actually do it in practice. So coach education is great, but then how do we filter it through so that the coaches then do it when they go back to their clubs? And how do we then convince parents? It's a lot of parent education. And then it's a lot of, um, we have to remove the pay-to-play model as well, because of course, I could develop my players, but it's going to take me six months. Whereas I could get us to win trophies now by, you know, put the fat kid in goal, the fast kid up front, the big kid as a centre back. We'll win games, we'll win trophies, and then more kids are going to come to our trials. We'll then sign more. We'll then sign the better players. We'll make more money. We repeat that process. So culturally, there's there's a lot there. So projects like what you're doing, and projects like uh, like Girls United, it's participation. It's holistic development it's getting more kids in as as many as possible for as long as possible as good as possible and and we all play sport because it's fun and this is a a point even in england we still find this where our first love in football is the ball and that's what gets us in we fall in love with the ball we manipulate it we kick it we we play around with it it is brilliant you then go to training what happens well the balls are kept away while well, you do lots of pointless exercises or you do games where you very rarely touch the ball and then you might play a match and you're told to get rid of it you're told to kick it out you're told to not play around with it there think, well i love the ball why are you not giving me the ball why are you telling me to get rid of the ball i love it i want to interact with it and i think that same mentality uh, permeates a lot of what they do so some of the stuff we did just looked alien you know like not screaming at kids oh that (laughs) revolutionary stuff like who else wants to to input on that very very big
1: question i think the, the the education side of it is massive i mean i've never taken a course in mexico but i can't imagine based on what i've come up against on the side of the park that it's actually it's a high standard that being said, there are a few different coaches that I have come across that have been good, but they always seem to be people that have actually went and been educated outside of the country. Um, I think they actually have to rip up the whole sort of grassroots programme and put in something that's a bit more beneficial to the development of a player. And it's just basic things as well, like, as you said earlier, 11 v 11, when they're nine years old, it's that they're not going to develop because they're playing on a massive park. They've got tiny, these little legs that can't cover the ground. Um, just try to think what else. I mean, The, the education side of it is massive. But... Pitches,
0: the, the size of that they play, the kids. I remember once in, in Bacala, I'm seeing seven-year-olds play 11v11 on a full-size pitch and this team get a free kick near the halfway line and the coach is screaming at him boot it right so he tells all the kids to get in the box of course they are now 30 yards further than the kid can kick it and he's so he then screams at the kid to, to boot it to get it in the box the kid obviously can't even beat the first man and so now the opposition on the counter attack. like now coach is screaming at everyone to get back and defend and just what an absolute mess but it, it's that that race to get there quickly to look like the adult game and I think similar to what you find in the us and, and parts of here is i believe in a lot of ways youth sport has become entertainment for adults rather than it's not the kids that are driving or the needs of the kids that are driving the experience it's the the wishes of the adults. So i think that a lot of kids are almost treated like you know they're really fluffy like you know, uh handbag type dogs you know like Paris Hilton would have a little tiny dog inside of a handbag. They're accessories. I don't think that the kids necessarily have the agency of their own pathways, and I think that a, a, a lot of coaches live vicariously and a lot of parents live vicariously. It's a, it's a cultural thing, not unique to Mexico, but it is a, an issue that Mexico has.
1: I think as well, ed- educating the parents is massive, especially over there, because... The parents come from an era where it is win at all costs, because that's what they've obviously grown up with. I think if you can educate, you basically have to educate the parents first and get them to buy into the ideas before you can even get the kids to buy into it over there. Whereas I personally feel over here, like the team I'm working with now, I've actually educated the players before I've educated the parents. So it's kind of worked in reverse which is obviously good because the players obviously understand the reasons why things are happening, there's less complaints about it they get on with it and they develop and then you can go back to the parents and show them because they're showing up on a match day and they're seeing all these good things happening that didn't happen before and you've got evidence to back up why you're doing it but you kind of have to like project the evidence to the parents before you can actually do it with the kids over there you know, I remember I had a semi-final one of my 2006 sides against a team that we, we beat quite convincingly at home but we ended up losing to them in this semi-final and the, legitimately the reason why we lost was because we were playing a 9 versus 9 game on a regular 9 versus 9 field but we were using 11 aside goals and these kids were at the time only about 9, 10 so it was just a case of big kid kick the ball as far as you can 9 times out of 10 it just goes over everybody and into the goal because the keeper can't touch a crossbar um, <clears throat> I mean, outside of that, I'd say that's that's the main one, the education, and that's not an overnight fix. That's something that's going to take years. And I mean, I was I was there what originally seven years ago. It's now twenty twenty one. Seven years mm-hmm. later, I don't think there's really been any any movement on that. <clears throat> and. I mean, they all, they always complain, like, why can't we get past the last 16 of the World Cup? Well, look at, look at what Germany did after the 2002 World Cup. They basically ripped up their whole philosophy, the way they did things. And 12 years later, or gradually over those 12 years, they were getting closer and closer until they actually did win the World Cup in Brazil. And now they're probably having to do it again because everybody kind of copied what their, their programme was. You can't
0: transplant one culture from a country to another, but there's a lot of things in the book Das Reboot that I think would certainly help Mexico. So maybe we need to get a Spanish version of, of that book Das Reboot and send it to the Federation. You're reminding me this one time with uh, the 99 girls, so we're 11 aside. The girls are about 15, 16. We've gone to a play against a team, and we've shown up on the pitch as a seven.
3: I'm on video,
0: <laughs> so, it's a 7 yeah. 7 size pitch and we've gone to play 11v11 and the opposition only have, I think, seven players. I've turned up with what, 15, 16 and the coach is saying, well, can we play 7v7? So, well, I've got a whole team here who turned up early on a Saturday morning, got out of bed to come for a game of football. I'm not going to have seven of them sit on the bench. So, how about you forfeit the game and we mix teams and play friendly. And the guy wasn't having that. So, we played 11 versus 7 on a -a 7-a-side pitch. Now, what do you think happened? Of course, we take the lead. Significantly. We're now putting goals in left, right and centre. Coach gets angry at his players, telling them they're not working hard enough. And he takes one of them off, makes her sit down at the side of the pitch and starts screaming at her. And then, they're doing even worse because we're now 11 versus six. He takes another one off and starts screaming at her for not working hard enough. Thinking, You've done this to yourself, you idiot, and now you're blaming the kids. I- I'm perfectly happy to, to mix up and do whatever, but the guy was not willing to to collaborate in, in that sense. It was either we play with seven and I have half the team sat on the bench or... He wasn't going to forfeit the match, but then they end up getting beat by double figures
1: anyway. So, go just, on, we'll... just, just another yeah. thing that I, I was thinking of while you were speaking there, well, obviously, like, the education side of it, uh, Well, we've already spoken about that, but I think the next phase after that should actually be a case of educating the referees and making them aware of what their role is in the development process. Because, I mean, when I was over there, the amount of times a player would take a foul throw whether it's on my team or the opposition side, and it's punished straight away. Whereas for me, that's that, that's a learning opportunity to actually show them how to take it correctly. Um, when they're playing, especially in the younger age groups, I mean, what is the need for yellow and red cards? It's mean, the parents and coaches.
2: Like,
1: I, I've seen... I've seen the captain getting sent off because of something that a parent shouted from the side of the. Park. Oh
0: yes, I remember that. We'd have kids in tears because some idiot parent would say something stupid, and the kid would be the one getting punished. That I mean, that is yeah. an extreme measure for, and it's not going to solve the problem
1: because now the parents are even more pissed off, and they become more volatile. But there's <laughs> so many like educational moments within the game that a referee, with basic knowledge of coaching, doesn't have to be an expert, can show them how to take a, a throw in correctly, you can show them what the correct distance they should be away from a free kick. Um, I mean, the, the list really is endless. You could go on and on. Um, there's also like situations I've seen the coach get sent off from the opposition. Now, if that happened here, that's a safeguarding issue because the coach has been sent off. And sent off doesn't mean you go and sit in the stands. It means you actually need to leave the venue. And the coach who just walked off into the car park, sat in his car, and the game's still going on. <laughs> so who's
0: safeguarding there? Is it?
1: one of those kids gets hurt.
0: So there's one game at Catlan where there was a manhole in the pitch, right? A Concrete rectangle with the metal manhole in, it. and you could play a one-two off of this thing. It was insane. So uh, let's come. We'll go to Brendan. Have you got an answer for us?
3: Yeah, um, I think obviously the education is really important. I think maybe the uh, restructuring of the leagues um, is something that I think could be looked at. Um, Obviously, rather than looking at the education, which has been explored a lot of, but I feel like um, how the leagues are set up where you've got teams that are obviously very good against teams that are very poor um, playing in the same league uh, where they could easily split it up. Same with the sizes of the pitches, obviously 9v9s and 7v7s. Can they play it smaller? Um, at, a sm- at younger ages would be of massive help. Um, I think also as well, introducing, I'm a big fan of futsal now. I think something like that would be something instrumental in Mexico. Um, especially obviously with the lack of access of grass pitches or quality grass pitches. Something like futsal, which is obviously quite easily uh built obviously with concrete and stuff with Mexico uh, being able to do that I think that would really help with their technical side of things um, along with the um the league structures I think also as well the access to academies as well like you say um I've never heard of any players from grassroots making it into academies I wouldn't I couldn't even tell you how they could do it whereas obviously in the UK, we, there's a route you know how it works is obviously if you play grassroots you do well you get scouts to come and see you and then you progress from there whereas in Mexico I couldn't tell you um, linking it again to the coaching qualifications I wouldn't even know where to look to get a coaching qualification with the Mexican FA um, so just things like that really basically
0: yeah, I've started to advertise some things on their website in the last few years but uh, I've heard this through other people but a lot of their coaching courses there are very much like uh, almost like a physical education qualification so you learn about like sport and exercise it's not necessarily like here where you learn about uh different teaching methods and pedagogy over there it's you learn what the muscles are and you learn how to prepare someone physically for a game which i don't i don't necessarily believe that's the area that they're lacking (laughs) so we'll go uh Chris Haynes, do you want to take us home with your input on
2: that? Yeah, I think I don't know an awful lot in terms of you know, the, the the footballers that we coached or I coached were very much from a certain demographic of quite a wealthy and sort of secure background. So I don't know about the overall, but I think the one thing that you could see as soon as you're sort of there and you're involved in any of the football is just the barriers that are in the way. I think there are so many barriers and so many things in place to stop people being able to play. And you've got to jump over so many hurdles just to play instead of all that coming later. And I think that is probably the the, the number one thing that I would take away from it and, and don't miss in a football sense is, um, you know, it, for, for a 10-year-old to play it almost appeared that they, you needed to get their driving license off them and you know their 30 year history it, it was an absolute nightmare in that sense so i think before we can even educate people we just need to make it easier for everyone to actually just play football in a system that um, or in, a, in in a manner where it's not an effort for for them it doesn't require money it doesn't require um too much resource they can just play and play regularly and i think then you'll be seeing the fruits of it anyway Um, and then you can start to educate people beyond that
0: that reminds me that was one of the biggest things that shocked me that kids as young as six and seven need four different forms of identification in order to get a player card in order to play now i have a criminal record because when i was a teenager i pulled a prank on a friend and he called the police so i have an arrest and a conviction on, on my my record, and uh, I got the coaching credential within minutes, yet a child would have to wait a significant amount of time in order just to be able to play football with their friends. So You've got that backwards. How we, at the time, got our coaching credential was to fill out a test about laws of the game. And I think a handful of us went. So Chris Bennett, you were there. Matt was there. I think one or two others were there. Um, and they,
1: they, they, sorry? Right, so
0: they didn't have the test in um, in English. And it was the, the, the laws of the game. Essentially, can you name the 17 laws of football? And as a qualified referee, I think I could get about 14 of them. And so the guy let us through, through me. I answered the test on behalf of everybody. And I don't think he even looked at the answers. And that was it. We were now... Uh, <laughs> we'd passed the test and we were now officially coaches and that's completely ridiculous we're idiots who just walked in the building don't even speak the language i don't think i don't believe we even showed the guy id but now we were allowed to be around children and yet on the other hand our kids have got to get four forms of id one of them is incredibly difficult to get if you're poor and such a huge huge barrier to, to so very very good points now where i'm aware it's been two hours you've been exceptionally generous with your time and you've given a lot of insight and, and value and some really uh, entertaining things I, i've enjoyed walking down memory lane and hopefully there will be some people that can soldier through the entire two hours because it's, it's valuable stuff and i i believe on the whole we've convinced people to give mexico a go but obviously like anywhere there's going to be good and bad there's going to be some things you have to get used to but we we're all here today because of how much we've enjoyed our time there and how it's become part of us and of of who we are so i i think the the five of us can thoroughly endorse the value of mexico as a country as a group of people as a as a football nation and uh hopefully we're we're selling it to people because it's it's brilliant it it changed my life i see it's changed your lives in, in lots of different ways as well so thank you for your time. Thank you for your for your story, for your insight, for your input. It's been really great seeing you, really great catching up and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you very much for your time. And one last thing I've got to mention is uh, for anyone who does make it this far and who wants to go out to Mexico uh, and really make a difference, Girls United, uh, it's, it's paradise. Coaching an absolute paradise with some best people i've ever known i'll give so much credit to Romina and what she's doing and how much that that program meant to me and i i loved it i can't speak highly enough for those people so if if anyone wants to go out there go ahead and and neil because you're going back out there and you got your club going tell us where we can find that and if there's anything we can do to support that
4: yeah thanks man um Loved having a chat about all things Mexico. Like you say, get out there if you can. It's a wonderful city and the country and um yeah, get out of your comfort zone and you will you'll, you'll progress as a person and as a coach really quick. But um yeah, you can get us at Premier or you can just go onto my Twitter handle, Coach Neil Connor. I've got all the stuff on there and all the links and um yeah we're, we're looking for support you know it's really difficult to try and challenge the um uh, differences in, in in sort of clubs in mexico there's a lot of pay to play and that's deemed the highest and we're trying to just get a lot of scholars and free football so um you always get in touch we're looking for sponsors and partners and um yeah hopefully we're gonna try and set up some sort of GoFundMe sort of campaigns in the future um but yeah, just look out. Next year should be um, should be really good for us, and hopefully we get we we aim to about 50 percent of each of our teams are, are scholars, and they don't pay anything for kits or or any match days. So um, yeah, it's great to be a part of it.
0: That's Premier like the Premier League, not spelt wrong, and then Liga L I G A. So excellent work that you're doing, and it's it's lovely to see you all, and you've all done so well since since your time in Mexico I really enjoy keeping in contact and I'm watching what you do online so best of luck in all your journeys and I'm sure our paths will cross again but thank you once more for your your generosity and your time and your insight tonight so thank you very very much Huge thank you to our guests tonight for being exceptionally generous with their time. Hopefully we have learned a lot about Mexico due to the wonderful experiences and insights that have given us. We'll be doing a few more of these in coming months about different regions, different places so you can learn a bit about our it's like to a different way. And as I keep saying, for those of you that want to go to Mexico, check out the you might
2: See you soon.